My only experience working retail was when I was working my way through college. Years ago, I worked for a men's clothing store for a couple of years. And this will date me for all of you baby boomers sitting out there. We sold clothes during the disco area. Does polyester ring a bell? I mean, I can still see the store. You know, we had these silk shirts with all the bright prints and, and polyester pants and the legs flared out about this wide, you know. And, and I've lived long enough to see all the styles recycle and come back again, but so far we haven't had disco come back, and I'd be great if that never happened. Um, yeah, some of y'all remember disco. Uh, but we, we had one table in this particular store where I worked. It was a clearance table. And, and basically, let me just tell you what was on the clearance table. Clearance table was junk. It was stuff nobody wanted, and we knew nobody wanted it. And this was before barcodes and skew marks. But we would take a red pen, and we'd just mark for the price tag. And basically, here was our attitude toward the clearance table. We just didn't want the stuff to be in the store when the new year rolled around and we had to do inventory. So it was like, just take it. I mean, it was like Mark Deffrey. I know that when you go looking for Christmas gifts, we, we look for the sales, but clearly none of us would go to the clearance table, right? We wouldn't go to the table where the junk is. I did hear a guy, about a guy who did that though some time ago. He went to one of those high-end New York stores, you know, with all the gilded furniture and everything in it. And so, but he was a Scrooge kind of guy. He was a skimflint. He had to buy a gift for a friend. And in the clearance table, he found this magnificent vase that it once sold for three or four hundred dollars, and now it had a, it was it was on sale for a dollar. And the reason was very apparent because the porcelain handle of the vase was lying there by itself. The handle had broken off, making it basically worthless. But the guy got an idea. He said, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend the dollar and buy this vase for my friend. I'm going to take it over to gift wrap and have it, you know, you know, like they have it exquisitely wrapped in the in the, in the store. And I'm going to send it to him, and he's going to think that it got broken in shipping, and I'm going to come off looking like a great guy. <laughs> this is kind of like the red dot episode in Seinfeld for those of you who remember that. So he just thought, well, I'm going to do that. So he, he bought, he paid his dollar, he bought the vase with the two pieces, you know, took it back to gift wrap. <laughs> And, and they took it to the back room, and they wrapped it up for him, and brought it back, and it was a beautiful, beautiful box with all the gold seal and everything in it. And so he mailed it to his friend, and he got a thank you note back from his friend. He said, thank you so much for the beautiful vase. It was so nice of you to have it gift wrapped, especially in individual pieces. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that would happen to me. Let me talk to you seriously for a few moments. You know I haven't come to talk to you about Charles Dickens or Scrooge or, or shopping. I want to talk to you about something a lot more important because here's the thing, and I know, like I said, this is a little bit dated. Prices aren't marked this way today. But in a way, you and I walk around with an imaginary red pen, and we're marking prices on the things in our lives. And sometimes I think the problem is we mark something as very valuable. We put a high price tag on something, and it's practically worthless. On the other hand, I think sometimes we put things on the clearance table, marked down to a dollar, when they're very valuable. We all hear stories about that happening in life, people, that, people who either are taken advantage of or take advantage of a, of a special bargain in that regard. We love stories about it. There's the story of Elizabeth Gibson who was walking down the street in Manhattan one day. It was trash day and everybody had their trash cans out. She walked past a place that had two trash cans and wedged in between the two trash cans was a picture that somebody had left out for the, for the trash collectors. She saw the picture and liked the colors and thought, hey, I can, if it's left out for the trash collectors, I can take this. So she took it home. And in, in time, after cleaning it up, she saw the name of the artist and researched it. Turned out it was a famous painting. Sold itself for a million dollars. But even that's not as good as the story of the man in Pennsylvania who, who bought a picture for $4 in a flea market. He didn't want the picture. The, the frame was, at, at one time, had been quite nice. 
And so he wanted to, res to you know, restore the frame to its original luster, and he tried. It just didn't work, and so he gave up on it. He was about to throw it away. But before he did, he took the picture out. When he took the picture out, he discovered a folded piece of paper. Turned out to be one of the 24 copies of the Declaration of Independence, sold to an Atlanta businessman for $2.42 million. Price tags are wrong. And, of course, we know the stories that aren't quite so fun about... <laughs> about wealthy investors who have more money than brains and they turn out to buy an art piece of artwork and, and they think they're buying a, a collector's piece and it turns out to be a copy or a piece of trash. And that's how it is in life. Sometimes the price tags get switched. And sometimes you and I can get the price tags wrong. We can think that, as I said a moment ago, something's very valuable when it isn't valuable at all. And we can think that things are, are not valuable when they're priceless. Well, it should get our attention today, because here's the one thing that I do know. I believe in, in time we're all going to know the, the right price tags. But I, don't, I can't speak for your situation, but I can speak for mine. Oftentimes, I learn the value of something when it's too late for me to live accordingly. I get confronted by a situation in life, and that confrontation yields the actual value of, the, of whatever it is that I'm dealing with. You know, there's the old saying, and most of us are too young to remember the saying, but there's an old saying that says, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. Well, what it means is when you run out of water, you know how to put a price tag on the well. This happens to me. One of my goals for the new year is going to be take better care of myself physically, but I'll, I want to start that in January after I get through eating all the December <laughs> foods. But here's the thing, God forbid, but if I'm, <clears throat> if I'm at the doctor's office or I'm at the hospital and I'm awaiting surgery and the reason why I'm there is because I haven't taken good care of my health, all of a sudden I'm able to take the red pen and mark, 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 I can bonus my health at that point. I can say, you know what, it's really important to take care of my health. The problem is it's too late for me to do what I could have done in a timely fashion. I've talked to dads who have walked their daughters down the aisle. You know how parents cry at weddings, we all do that. But I've heard dad say to me, you know, it was at that moment when I was giving my daughter away, I thought to myself, I wish I'd spent so much more time with my daughter. It's like that moment of confrontation yielded the actual value point. Sometimes that happens with a friend moving away. And I'm guessing this will happen to some degree with all of us. When we go through a spiritual crisis, suddenly we can think, wow, Bible reading is a lot more important than I thought it was. Prayer is a lot more important than I thought it was. <laughs> These crisis points tend to teach us the actual valuations. But we don't want to wait till that time. We, we, want to know we, we, we want to know how to mark the proper values on the important things of life. See, at the beginning of Christmas, Carol, that's what Scrooge is doing. Scrooge is, is, is marking the prices. And maybe the best-known line from Christmas, Carol, if it's not God bless us, everyone, it's probably the line that Scrooge says over and over, bah humbug. You know, I've... Uh, and getting ready for this, getting ready for this series, I've, I've watched all the movies. You know, actually, Mary Alice and I were watching a little clip from the Jim Carrey animated version yesterday. I've read Dickens. I've looked at people who've, you know, I've read, read works of people who put it on stage in various applications. It's sort of interesting that all the people who play Scrooge, George C. Scott is the guy in our, in our movie, but the people who play Scrooge oftentimes have a hard time knowing exactly how to play him. Is he this mean curmudgeon? Or is he just a, a I-don't-get-it kind of businessman? How do you play Scrooge? But when Scrooge says, bah humbug, I think he opens the windows of his enigmatic soul. And we get a look at who he is. And the thing that we discover is that bah humbug takes us to the darkest place in the human heart. 
First of all, let's talk about what humbug means. We don't use that anymore. That's a 150-year-old mid-Victorian word. Humbug means fraud or fake. So when Scrooge says, bah humbug, what he's saying is Christmas is a fake. And therefore, anybody who celebrates Christmas is a dupe or an idiot, we heard that word twice, or a deceiver. And so basically what he's doing, he's ripping anybody who celebrates Christmas. Now, when I say it takes us to the darkest place in the human heart, if Scrooge had just merely said, I don't choose to celebrate Christmas, we might not agree with him, but we wouldn't have the visceral reaction that we do. I mean, I have friends who don't celebrate Christmas. I participated last, last weekend. I had, the, I had the privilege of being um, able to give a tribute to a, a faith leader who's not a Christian, but he's one of my closest friends, and he wouldn't celebrate Christmas. I, I, I understand that. But, but in, in our situation here, it wasn't just that Scrooge said, I don't choose to celebrate Christmas. It was that he ripped it. He said, bah humbug. What was it in Scrooge's heart that I'm talking about that shows us who he really was? Before I get there, let me just tell you this. There's a guy who's a marriage expert in the country today, and the world beats a path to his door. His name is John Gottman. He heads up the Gottman Institute at the University of Washington. The reason why everybody who's interested in marriages and family life, the reason why we all beat a path to Gottman's door is that Gottman was able to predict with 93.6% certainty the couples who would make it and the couples who wouldn't. But here's what really got everybody's attention in the, in the marriage and family industry. And that was that he was able to predict it with couples who weren't necessarily having conflict. You know, if you could predict with 93.6% certainty the couples that were going to divorce or stay together who were having conflict issues and presented for counseling, that would be pretty dramatic. But Gottman was able to make that prediction with couples on their honeymoon. So everybody wanted to know statistically what was it or how was it that he came about this capability to predict who was going to make it and who wasn't going to make it. And Gottman gave us what he calls the four horsemen, the four issues, the four problems in relationships. And they are defensiveness, criticism, contempt, and stonewalling. But the quintessential factor, Gottman taught this over and over and still teaches it to this day, the quintessential factor that's most telling as to whether a couple is going to make it or not is the presence of contempt. Contempt is the worst of all. See, here's the thing. If you and I have an argument or if we have a disagreement, what I'm saying is my ideas are better than yours. Granted, I mean, that, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the underlying premise of any kind of dispute. My idea is better than your idea. But if, while I'm having an argument with you, I say, you know, the reason why my idea is better than your idea is you're stupid. You're, you're a loser. You're just like your mother. You're just like your dad. You're always, you, all, you always screw up. Well, see, I've gone from my idea is better than your idea to I am better than you. That is the premise of contempt. And when Scrooge says, bah humbug, that's what he's saying. Scrooge is saying, I am smarter than the rest of you. And he, of course, is taking his red pen in the process, and he's marking down Christmas, and he's marking down his nephew who loves him, although I can't figure out why. He's marking down the businessmen who come to ask for charitable donations. He's marking down a loyal employee like Bob Cratchit who leaves his problems at home in order not to trouble Scrooge. Scrooge is marking down everything in life except Scrooge, and that's contempt. In fact, if you look at his 
attitude at the beginning of Christmas Carol. Scrooge thinks he's got the prices marked just right, but you and I know he's got them all marked wrong. Are your price tags right? Are mine? I'm going to be honest with you. This is the third time I preached this talk this weekend, and this is kicking my backside. I went home after the message last night and thought, I've got a lot of work to do. So let's talk about that for just a few moments. Let's, let's talk about, do we have our price tags marked right? I'm going to give you a couple of questions to wrestle with today, and I'm not sure this is the whole discussion, but it is sure, help, sure will help us get started. We've already talked about the importance of contempt, so let's just start there, and let's ask the question, is there any contempt inside of us? Is there any contempt in me? And this is really important. And I'm not really sure I can give you an answer for why this is, but for some reason, contempt really bothers God. Isn't it strange? Gottman says it's the one thing that's the most telling factor in a relationship, and it seems that contempt really bothers God, and God almost behaves differently toward humans who have contempt than any other group of humans. Let me show you what I mean. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. The Bible says, out of compassion, he wanted to give them every chance possible. Well, I'm not sure who the them are, but I want to be part of that group because I need God to give me every chance possible. Thankfully, he's the God of second chances, 500th chances, 10,000th chances. God is the God of giving people a chance. So out of compassion, here's what the Bible says. This particular group of people, God wanted to give them every chance, but they wouldn't listen. They poked fun at God's messengers, despised the message itself, and in general treated the prophets like idiots. God became more and more angry until there was no turning back. Listen, you and I can parse this real easily. God wanted to give them many chances, and yet the time came when God said, no more chances. Now listen, I can afford a lot of problems in life, but one problem I can't afford is for God to say, that's it, I'm not giving Mark any more chances. That I can't survive. Isn't it interesting that the one group of people that God would say no more chances are people who have contempt in their heart, not people who struggle with sin or people who struggle with problems. That's all of us. But the one group of people God will say, that's it, no more chances, are people who have contempt. Let's look at this, let's look at this biblical argument from a positive side. In Psalm 1-1, the Bible says, How happy is the person who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join in a group of mockers. So how can I know if I have contempt? Well, let me throw you a slow pitch, and then we'll, we'll work harder. Do you have a bah humbug word? And you, don't, you and I don't say bah humbug, I don't think. But do you have a bah humbug word? Um, like, that's a load of garbage. And some of us have words that I won't use a little more scatological in nature. I mean, and here's the thing. When something is a load of garbage, okay, that's legitimate usage. But isn't it possible that we are just a little bit too quick on the trigger of using our bah humbug word? Because that can be traced back to contempt. And I don't want to talk about this today. But is it just me or is language getting coarser and coarser out there? I mean, I'm old enough to remember when men wouldn't use bad language around a lady. But, I mean, we have children using... I, I hear about children dropping the F-bomb on their parents. Well, my parents would have dropped a bomb on me. If I, <laughs> I mean, what, what are people thinking today? Anyway, that's not my talk. Let's go to a bigger test. 
And the reason why I propose this bigger test is this. Contempt can either be hostile, and I think we normally think of it in those terms, like Scrooge, but contempt can also be silent. We can be contemptuous of someone and not say anything negative at all. So here's the thing. And, and guys, let me just tell you how I work a lot of times when I'm trying to understand the Bible or if I'm just trying to understand a life concept. A lot of times when I'm trying to understand a negative concept, I'll look at the opposite positive concept. And I'll understand that the negative concept is really the absence of the qualities of the positive concept. I'll tell you what I mean. What's the absent, what is the opposite of, of contempt? It's honor. Because honor, honor means we value something. One of the commandments is children are to honor their parents. Honor means to value. So obviously a, a child who doesn't have uh, honor, who has contempt for his parents, would not value his parents. Uh, scripture tells men to honor their wives. What does it mean to honor their wives? It means to give value to the wives. So therefore a man who gives contempt to, or has contempt for his wife would not value her. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk to you about the four qualities or the four things necessary to value anything in our life. So if you and I want a price or if we want to check on the price tags of life, just apply this four-question test and you can see whether or not you have uh, honor or contempt for whatever in your life. And I'm going to start from the lowest rung and then we're going to go up to more important things. If I value something, first of all, it has my money. My money is there. If I value something, I put money into it. Why is that important? Because money is the God of this world. And so consequently, when I apply money to something, I approve clearly of the worth of it. I'm showing worth by, by giving money. But Americans are real good at that. We'll, we'll throw checks at things a lot of times. And that's not, by the way, I shouldn't denigrate that. We are receiving an offering for the building today. <laughs> but money's the easiest of all, okay? So that's, that's the thing. Now, if we don't apply money to something, we don't value it at all. It's, it doesn't matter what else we say or do. It's just a crock. But if we value something, it's got our, it's got our resources. It's got money attached to it. Let's go up a rung. Because there's something more important than money, isn't there? And that's time. Why is time more important than money? If I spend money on you, I can get more money. I can't get more time. So consequently, if I truly value something, if I really honor something, my money will be there, my time will be there. You say, Mark, what's more important than time? I'm going to be really careful about this because I think Mary Alice is in this service. <laughs> and I may as well be honest in the service, okay? And I know that none of you, rest of your husbands, y'all sitting out there with halos on, you would never do this. But, you know, I, I've, I've developed over the years. Mary Alice and I have known each other since I was 16. She was 14. So we go way back. And, and I've actually gotten pretty good at, at smiling and nodding. And, and my time is there, you know. My time is there. You know, I'm smiling. I'm nodding. But Mary Alice is very, very smart. <laughs> and I've done that a few times. And Mary Alice is like, could I have your attention, please? Focus. See, money Time, focus. And I, I'm thankful for all the social media and all the electronic devices that we have today. But isn't it interesting that oftentimes we have time with people, but we're not focused on them. I had a really, good, really interesting experience. Reynolds and I, we were out of the country with some very, very dear friends who we love very much, some of the greatest people in the world. We were going to, uh, we, were, we were in a beautiful city. We are at one of the finest restaurants in that city. And here we are, there are like 10 of us around a table. And we're friends, and, and we're with family. And, and, and we're in this beautiful place. All of a sudden, I look up at one moment, and everybody at the table is looking at their smartphone. 
Nobody's talking to each other. We're having dinner with each other, but our focus is somewhere else. So if I value someone, first of all, my money will be there. My time will be there. My focus. You said, well, what's greater than focus? Sacrifice. Sacrifice means I am willing to displace my self-interest in the, in the, because of the importance of the person or the endeavor that I'm engaged in. So that's how you can know. If you want to know how you have the price tags of life, Mark, you, you know, it, I mean, here's the thing. Americans are so good with words. Let's just throw words out. Words don't matter that much in this regard. All you got to do is look at where does your money go? Where does your time go? Where's your focus? And where's your sacrifice? And I'm cautious about saying this because Lord loves, Lord knows I love sports. But all you got to do when you go home, if you're watching NFL football, just watch a cold weather game. I mean, you know, I look out there and I think, well, these are people that have already paid, you know, $100 for a ticket. And on top of that, they paid money to park. They bought, you know, souvenirs and, and, and hot dogs and Cokes at exorbitant prices. Their money is there. Their time is there. They're focused on what's going on on the game. And it's 20 degrees and snowing. So I know they're sacrificing to be there. I, I'm not ripping sports. I love sports. I'm just saying, whatever, if you want to know, that's all you got to know. I mean, I can take a test today and say, do I, do I honor my wife? Do I value my wife? Well, what about my money, my time, my focus? Ouch. And my sacrifice. I've got work to do there, but I think there's evidence that I value my wife. What about my kids? They've almost all left home. But money, time, focus, sacrifice. Yeah, I'm, I've got work to do. Some things I'd like to do over, but there's evidence. What about my career? It's my 30th year here at New Spring. I've been pastoring since I was 20. Money, time, focus, sacrifice. Hey, I actually probably did better there than any place else. What about God? What about God? Because according to Scripture, God's more important than anything. And Jesus said it this way. He said, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, he said, seek, seek God first. Well, if I want to know if I value God, money, <laughs> not ripping entertainment, some of us spend more money on, on cable, our cable bill, than we spend on God. If you were God, how would you interpret that? Time? Some of us give more time to our favorite television show than we give to God. Focus? Would we sacrifice for God? See, the truth of the matter is, many of us will even come in and sing songs and, and go through the motions, but the fact of the matter is, what we have is a sort of silent contempt for God. And so we're challenged today to think about seeing if we have to change the price tags. I mean, the one thing that's real clear about Scrooge, there was one, there was one endeavor that got his money, time, focus, and sacrifice, and that was Scrooge. Scrooge. Scrooge was willing to invest all those things in Scrooge. Well, the first question that I ask is, is there contempt? And as we close out the talk today, let's go to the second question. And it's just a sort of evaluation point as you, you do and I do. And the question is this, is it possible that I'm missing the things that really matter? This, the first week of January, I start the biggest series I've ever been part of by far. <laughs> and it's called Find Your Life. 
And it's from the words of Jesus. Jesus just talked about what it takes to find your life. Jonathan was talking to me about this the other day. And he said, Dad, I think most people wing it when they go through life. They're just making it up as they go. Wouldn't it be tragic to have this wonderful life that God has planned for you and never discovered? That's what our series is going to be about. For eight weeks, starting in January, we're going to talk about finding your life. But today I just want to pull a statement out of the book of Philippians. Paul writes to the people of Philippi and he said, I want you to understand what really matters. Now that's what Paul said to his church, and it was the best of his churches. Now, you know what? If I said to you today, I want you to understand what really matters, you might take offense at that. And I wouldn't blame you for it. You can say, well, Mark, don't you think I'm smart enough to know what really matters? Yes, you would be if it weren't for one thing. The things that really matter in our life tend to get camouflaged. See, what really matters is meaning, isn't it? Meaning. We all want to live lives according to meaning. What is it that tends to camouflage meaning? This is easy for me. Because in a few times in my life, I've had friends confront me about maybe focusing on things that might not be the most important in my life. And you know how I answer them? I answer them, that can't be right because I do this and I do this and I do this. I work seven days a week. I go 10, 12 hours a day. And I say to people, how can you possibly say that I don't know the things that matter the most because I've got so much motion in my life. Motion often gets confused with meaning. And I'm talking to some of you today. You say, well, sure, Mark, I know the things that really matter. I'm very busy. It's not what I ask. I said, do you know the things that really matter? See, Scrooge has got all kinds of motion going on. He's frustrated at the end of our clip that he can't get down to the exchange in time. Why? He's in motion. Emotion and meaning aren't always the same thing. As I close out the talk today, Jesus gives us a great story on this. Jesus is going to visit this house. And there are three siblings who live there. And it's kind of an interesting situation because the house is owned by one of the, one of the daughters or one of the, one of the women there. And that's unusual for first century because usually if there are uh, houses with male and usually the male would own the title, but not this, not this case. There's a woman in this house that's large and in charge, and her name is Martha. Let's pick it up. A woman named Martha opened her home to him, to Jesus. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Well, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Which is like saying you don't care. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Whoa. I mean, she's got the Son of God, the creator of the universe, in her living room teaching. And she is ripping him. She is saying to him, Lord, you don't care about this big job that I've got, all this motion I've got going on. I'm cooking dinner for you and your posse. And, and you don't care about that. And my sister is misbehaving and you're facilitating it. Thankful that Jesus answered very gently, but Jesus really coaches us up on what really matters. I want you to watch this and I'll be through. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In one sentence, Jesus Christ tells us how to know what's valuable. Number one, is it needed? You know, Madison Avenue is going to tell me as I watch the football games today, when I watch the commercials, Madison Avenue is going to tell me a whole lot of stuff I need. 
I need a toothpaste that will whiten my teeth. I need a hair transplant. I need, <laughs> I need a Cadillac. I need, you know, on and on, right? Those, I mean, I, and I'll just watch those commercials and think, my life's going to be ruined if I don't have this product because I, I need it. I don't need that junk. Isn't that strange? How many of us think we need stuff we really don't need? And if you want to know how that's true, if you've ever had a garage sale, you'll know the answer to that. <laughs> you like, I mean, there was a time when you, you know, stuff you put out there on the table, there was a time when you had to have it. And now you're putting it out there just hoping somebody would come take it. <laughs> I, I remember reading, uh, you know, in, in, in financial books that the greatest transfer of wealth was going to happen when the great generation died and the baby, baby boom inherited. That's not the greatest transfer of wealth in American history. It's a garage sale. That's the transfer of wealth. Is it needed? Do you need it? Hey, I don't need a new car. I need Mary Alice. I don't need a new wardrobe. I need God. Is it needed? Boy, when something's needed, you... Boy, you mark it up, put a bonus on it. Number two, is it better? See, that's one of the biggest issues in life. And I want to tell you something. There are some really, really, really special, wonderful people here today. And you got your price tags marked wrong. And the weird thing about it is you're not trying to do anything bad. You're just struggling to know the difference between what's good and what's better. Because Jesus, he said, what Mary, you know, Martha, what you're doing is a good thing. Making dinner for everybody, that's a good thing. But, but Mary has chosen what is better. I spend my life now, a lot of my life, coaching pastors. I started out as a boy pastor. I've lived long enough to be an elder statesman. <laughs> now I go around coaching pastors today. You know what I discovered? I discovered there are ministers who are in, at risk of losing their marriages and losing their children because they're doing God's work. Is doing God's work good? Yes. Is that what they're called to do? Yes. But let me just tell you this. The first person I pastor is Mary Alice. My responsibility to her trumps my responsibility to you. And I'll tell you that every day and ten times on Sunday if necessary. Thankfully, you don't make it necessary. My relationship to my kids is more important than my relationship to my pastor. See, that's the thing. And I'm not denigrating that. All I'm saying is this. It's really important in life to know the difference between what is good and what is better. I, I've been by, by a lot of deathbeds in, in, in 38 years of pastoring. I've never had anybody say, I wish I'd made more money and spent less time with my wife or my kids. Jesus said, what is needed, what is better? I love this third one. What can't be taken away from you. See, here's the thing. That night when Jesus was teaching in the living room, it was probably Tuesday night. The following Friday, Jesus would hang on a cross. <laughs> Mary could make dinner for the rest of her life. Never again would she have an opportunity to have Jesus in her living room. And nobody could ever take that away from her. If you want to know today how to mark the prices, just mark up the stuff that's needed, that's better, and that nobody can ever take away from you. And if you'll mark those things up, you'll be just fine. I got three minutes and I'm through. You have a possession right now that's the most important possession in your life. You say, well, my, my health. That's nice, but that'll be taken away from you someday. You say, well, it's... Um, it's my friends, and that's a very precious possession. But that's not your most precious possession. Do you know what your most precious possession is? 
Jesus coached us up on this. He said it's your soul. It's the part of you that's you. I can say I see you today, but I don't see you. I see the houses you live in. I see your, your tent, your body. The part of you that's your soul is the part of you that's cognizant, that's alert, that's feel, that feels, that cares, that loves. That part of you that is you, that part of you is never going to die. If I tell you you're going to die today, you'd say, well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate that. Drove halfway across Kansas to have you come give me bad news. But the word death in the Bible, the Greek word for death doesn't mean cosmic stop sign. It means to separate. If I said you're going to separate, you wouldn't freak out over that. It may be a little strange. But that's what death is. You're just going to separate someday. The part of you that's alive is going to separate from the part of you that's dying, your body. And the real you is leaving and going somewhere. That's why people who have near-death experiences talk about walking down long hallways and seeing lights and so on and so forth. That's not a surprise. Soul never dies. And you're not a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. And according to Jesus, that's just the most important thing in the world is your soul. Because it's going to live somewhere. Five seconds after you die, your soul is either going to be with God in heaven or in hell. It really matters. It's an old story. I remember reading it years ago. I don't even remember where I read it. But a story about a guy that went to Africa to make his, make his, make his future in diamond mining. And he mined some diamonds and he traded them and just kept working. And eventually, though, he found the one diamond that would, that would secure his future forever. It was a huge diamond. It was as large as a baseball. But it was in the days before you could insure items like that, and, and all travel was, all travel was, intercontinental travel was by ship. He was terrified somebody was going to steal his diamond. So he did something pretty smart. He wrapped it up in what we would call duct tape or electric tape. And for all the world, it looked like a ball. And sure enough, nobody bothered it. But he got bored one day during passage, and he was just walking around the, the, the deck of the ship beside the, beside the side of the, the ship, and without thinking, just unconsciously, he just started tossing Tossing it up and catching it, tossing it up and catching it, tossing it up and catching it. And all of a sudden, the ship lurched and the diamond fell into the water. And he said, what a fool I've been to have the work of a lifetime slip overboard because I tossed it like a toy. Well, that would be dumb. But I can tell you something that's worse than that. It's for you and me to have an eternal soul and to treat it like a toy. Jesus put it this way. He said, what is a person profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. And then he went on to ask another question. He said, what would a person trade for his soul? What about you? I mean, if you're going you're gonna to make a price tag, if you're going to put a price tag on the part of you that's going to last forever, do you have it priced right? Well, here's the thing. You know, it goes back to Jesus wanting to give us every chance because that's God. You know, religion says jump through hoops and God will accept you. The word of God says God loves you with an unconditional love and he wants to give you every chance. And here's the good news. In order for your soul to be everlasting in heaven and, and to get a whole new body, which I'm beginning to look forward to, the way to have that is to receive as a gift. That's why Jesus died on the cross. I mean, guys, that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not a story about a cute baby in Bethlehem and angels flying around and all that kind of stuff. The story of Jesus coming into our world is on, he's on a rescue mission. He came into our world to be God and human at the same time, to live the life that you and I couldn't live because we're all sinners. He ran the table for 33 years, never did one thing wrong, took that perfect record and laid it on a Roman cross. And the way God looked at it is the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for our sins. And all God is asking you to do is endorse the check. 
And that's why the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, if you would like to do that today, I would love to do it with you. I can't think of anything better than that on this Christmas weekend. I'm going to do something. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. And guys, realize when you come to New Spring, you don't recite a lot of stuff. This is not a hummada, hummada, hummada church. <laughs> keeping it real. I mean, these, this is serious business. If you mean these things to God, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can think about it. And if you want to say these things to God, you can join me in this prayer. This is just reaching out to God and saying yes and asking God to take care of your eternal soul. Here's what you need to know. God loves you. Jesus died to pay for your sins. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, and he's king of kings and lord of lords. And you're just saying, I want to be with you. I want to be on your side. I want to trust my soul to your keeping. You ready to pray? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm flawed and broken past repair. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. God, help me to live for you for the things that really matter. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know that happened quickly. And you can say, Mark, I just prayed. I don't know what in the world happened to me. Well, when you came in, you got to talk to his card. All you got to do is just check the box that says, I pray with Mark. And then bring it back to guest service. I know we're congested. It's right back in the middle of the lobby. There's a little one back by the coffee shop. And the reason why, I have a gift I want to give you. It's free. It won't cost you anything. A DVD, a book I wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. It won't cost you anything. We just want you to have this. Thank you for being here. Next weekend, biggest message of the series. Talk to you soon.